Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Join us today for discussion about a special kind of struggle. Now, all of us who are parents know that bringing up children is a challenge. For parents with special needs children, it may be even more of a challenge. In this program, we're going to discuss about how the special difficulties for families that have experienced trauma, like death or violence, or children with severe emotional or behavioral problems, and even children with chronic illness. Today we have with us Associate Professor and Director of the Early Childhood Research Clinic, Dr. Lisa Cohen from Suffolk University in Boston, Mass. Lisa is also uh, has also has a private practice where she sees many parents with low income diverse populations and Lisa is also a mom of two children. Lisa is an internationally recognized act trainer and the author of a book called The Joy of Parenting, an acceptance and commitment therapy guide to effective parenting in the early years. You can find this book by clicking on the link on this episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. You can also read more about Lisa on her website, which you can get to by clicking her name on this week's episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope on webtalkradio.net. Remember that acceptance and commitment therapy has three parts opening up to your own private events, which means whatever you are thinking or feeling, becoming aware that you are not your feelings or thoughts. And becoming and engaging in valued action, which in this case might mean engaging of how you want to be as a parent. I want to especially welcome you, Lisa. Hi, how are you, Joanne? Good, Lisa. You're you're talking to me from from Boston, and it's already nighttime here in Sweden. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's still bright here. <laughs> Lisa, tell me. You know, the listeners to this program are always interested on, in the human being beyond the researcher and clinician and mm. uh, professor. So, what got you interested in parents to special needs children? Um, I suppose that when I was a graduate student, I was younger, and I actually had my daughter while I was in graduate school and was going through, I guess, the process of learning how to be a parent and how to juggle many things. And in the meantime, I was working with um, families in very different populations, many of whom had children with autism, many of whom had uh, children who were very aggressive, who had been expelled from school. 
and just watching the struggles of those parents. Um, and, you know, from the perspective of being a young parent myself, understanding how hard it was to uh, raise. I'm, I'm very lucky my daughter's a typically develop, develop, developing girl. Mm. And um, watching how much harder it was for those parents, um, you know, to raise children when the demands were so much greater in so many areas of their lives. Yeah, Lisa. What what makes um what makes that so much harder? Do you think? There's a lot of things. Um, I remember one of my um one one parent in particular who came to me because her six year old had uh, brought threatened to bring a gun to school, and this was just one of a long long line of things that he had been suspended um, for, and she pulled out of her purse a stack of pink suspension sheets. Mm. And she said, you know, if, if I don't get him treatment, you know, he's he's done with school. He was six. Oh, my goodness. He was six. And um, she herself was struggling with intense social anxiety and agoraphobia on top of all of that. And, you know, I think we're really great as a field at understanding what our skills parents can use with difficult or challenging behaviors. However, I think it's really hard to do them when we're struggling ourselves, mm -hmm. especially when um, the behaviors might be very frightening and scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so you're saying that the, you get kind of a double whammy here with both the uh, children with or maybe out of control or different mm -hmm. different ways. And then parents who are having their own problems and uh, yeah. And parents in this population too who have kids with special needs, whether it's chronic health issues or autism or severe emotional and behavioral disorders are at much greater risk for things like parenting stress, anxiety, depression, marital um, you know, conflict. Mm -hmm. Um also, there are, you know, at least in, in the states where I am, it's very expensive and, you know, to get treatment for these kids at a level that helps, you know. Mm -hmm. And so there are a number of financial demands. There's time demands where very often at least one parent will have to give up a career if they had one mm -hmm. to bring the child to different um, meetings and things like that. In the case of kids with autism, you know, parents are called on to not just be their, their children's caregivers, but also their children's coaches and their children's mm -hmm. ABA therapists. So it's, mm -hmm. it's really, really hard. It's 24 seven. Mm -hmm. So do you think, Lisa, when, when you talk about like the, the, the special problems that, um, that we also have something in our culture that, uh, with all kinds of pictures of the happy family and the way things should be. Yeah, I think parents are their, often their biggest, their own biggest critics because the cultural messages are, it's not just that we have happy families, you know, but it's interesting. We do have a lot of cultural myths that children will make us happy and everything will be lovely. And there's actually a lot of data to suggest that when, when people have children, even in the general population, things are really hard for quite a while, especially early on. And mm -hmm. people rate, um, they um, have less marital satisfaction. They feel they might even feel less happy. But 
it was interesting to me because I was talking about this to a group of parents um, who do have some pretty who are raising children with some pretty significant special needs. These are kids who are are um, having such behavioral problems that they can't be or they don't go to um, a mainstream school. And they said, well, this is just regular parents. What about us? What about parents of our kids? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what about our, you know, these types of kids? Mm-hmm. And there's quite a nice um, quote, and I can't remember the author, but it talks about um, receiving a diagnosis of autism for a child. And they say, it's like, you know, all of your life you had this plan to go to, to Italy. Mm-hmm. And you planned everything around what this trip will be like and you've imagined it and mm-hmm. it will be lovely and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you find yourself in Holland in this very different place mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they talk about it as a kind of and it's like almost a kind of grief mm-hmm. you know to say goodbye to I mean a lot of people experience they have thoughts that this means the end of some kinds of possibilities um, mm-hmm. for being happy or for having children who are who reach their full potential mm-hmm yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I just had a little story. You know who Astrid Lindgren is? She's the the child author. She's actually my hero. <laughs> I do know. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, she actually writes in one of she wrote for children uh, who with difficulties. So that was her her aim actually to help children mm-hmm. who were having difficulties. And she actually writes that if you um, if you have a child with difficulty, you were deemed as being capable of of managing it. Otherwise, you wouldn't have gotten that child. Exactly right. So you're deemed of being very capable. Because certainly, you know, probably I can imagine that um, you learn very much from having children that are challenging. You do. You absolutely do. And I think a lot of parents, one thing that I have noticed in working with them is it's, it's such an honor because sometimes the things that they are struggling with are so, so difficult. And to watch them you know, continue to move through it. And they're so resilient in so many ways. So the challenges are certainly greater. And at the same time, they have such resources and such um, tenacity, mm. you know, and how they do this and how, how a lot of them become advocates for their children. Yeah. You know, so, it's, it's quite amazing. So Lisa, t- tell, tell us how, how does this um, affect parents, do you think? Well, I think that you know one of the one of the things that's really hard for I think all of us as parents, you know, speaking just as a parent myself, is it's hard to acknowledge when you're you're really struggling. And yeah. I think that the cultural myths sort of reinforce the idea that good parents don't struggle, good parents don't feel tired or weak, or good parents are always available. And there are all these sorts of rules that we hold. And Mm -hmm. when we deviate from them, we tend to beat ourselves up quite a lot. At least I know I do. Yeah. I do. Um, And I think that that's doubly um, important for parents of kids with special needs who, you know, from the ACT perspective, when you get stuck in struggling with thoughts like that, um, it may make you less available. You know, less emotionally available to your children, which creates distance. It may, um, there are some evidence actually that we've seen that sometimes it's linked with more reactivity, Mm -hmm. you know, in a negative way where little things can get blown out of proportion and things like that. And you lose a sense of connectedness and of beauty in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and being present, you know, of being really fully present to your child and to your spouse or your partner. Mm-hmm. And I think that those are the, the things that are, are really critically important. Mm. you know, to target when we, we work with these populations. So, so Lisa, how, how does an ACT therapist approach uh, these parents? Well, the first thing we do um, is to try and normalize whatever thoughts and feelings that we're having because we're, we're socialized that we don't say these things out loud when we're feeling like, um, you know, maybe that we're really challenged by our child. And I, you know, I think that that's, that's the first thing is to create a safe space where they can actually not push these feelings away and not push these thoughts away, but rather just acknowledge that they have them in a safe environment. And just to give you an example, I have some quotes that are drawn from, from actual parents. Mm, let's hear them. Um, yeah. And this is a, from a book that was actually written by parents for other parents mm-hmm. and parents of adopted special need kids. And so here's one. When he was nine months old, I thought there was something wrong with him. This was my second child. The pediatrician told me I was absolutely off the wall. There was nothing wrong with him. I was just comparing him to my first child. The guy made me feel two inches high. Even my family told me I was insane. There had to be something wrong with me. He was beautiful, they said. It wasn't until six months later that he was diagnosed. Hmm. And I think something like that speaks to the the isolation that these families may experience, you know, um, and and the courage that it takes to say, I think there is something wrong. Yeah. And here's the, yeah. Um, and I think that there's another one um, that kind of speaks to this sort of stigmatization that occurs for these families. Um, this mom says, we put him in a psychiatric hospital while he was there five weeks. He didn't receive one get well card. Mm-hmm. At the same time, a kid was getting a kidney transplant and there were fundraisers. Oh, oh. <laughs> I know. And there's this sense of anger and there's this sense of, you know, stigma around when, when kids really have severe behavioral disorders. Yeah. And also what a huge difference between different diagnoses. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's actually, so when we talk about kids with special needs, I think it's really, really important to think about, um, you know, what's the nature of the issue? For you know, um, So how would you as a, an ACT therapist approach? Um, I, I understand this is a very different group, but mm. what are some general things? So kids with emotional and behavioral disorders? Mm-hmm. So one thing that we think that happens based on some of the work in our lab is that parents may overreact to their children and you know if you have it's it's very um, hard to be around a child who might throw a tantrum or you don't know what how they're going to react or it might feel like you're walking around on eggshells and then if you get into an altercation or an interaction that's really negative you get in a fight and you start yelling mm-hmm. at each other um, a parent's first instinct might be to just stop to just end the interaction, and one of two things might happen: um, if the you know the parent might give in to the child's demands, whatever whatever they are, mm-hmm. just to stop the interaction to make that discomfort go away, because it's so hard to be with those moments. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, parents might actually 
escalate themselves. They might find themselves losing their temper or wanting to set more rules or become more punitive. Mm -hmm. And so what we encourage parents to do in those types of situations and in any situation really is to um, connect. The first step would be to connect um, with the child Mm. by just taking a moment, breathe, pause, notice. Mm. Notice what's going on. Notice what your child looks like in that moment um, and connect with that. The next thing would be to observe. You know, as a teenager, I remember Mm -hmm. (laughs) I wasn't always the easiest kid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I can remember many arguments that I had. And one of the things that was most important to me in those particulars was being heard. And this is the observe part. Notice what your child is feeling, connecting with that, and naming it. For example, you might say, as a parent, you look so angry, sad, or anxious. Mm-hmm. And as a parent, that's not often our first response when the child is yelling at us. We want it to stop, and we might say, stop yelling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so it doesn't necessarily feel intuitive to just stop, pause, connect, and then observe what's going on. And then the next step would be reflect um, which involves doing a little bit of perspective taking in the moment, mm. you know, considering how might this be for your child and saying, you know, I might feel that way too. I can see how that would make you angry. I can see how that would make you upset. So looking from the child's perspective. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then the last bit is we so often, you know, as parents um, want to kind of direct and that's not always the right thing. Some Sometimes it is, but sometimes we need to encourage um, kids, especially teenagers, to explore on their own. Mm -hmm. And so this involves a letting go and acceptance Mm -hmm. that you might not be able to control the outcome of this conversation. But what you can do is you can encourage exploration. And you might say something like, wow, that's really tough. I see that you're angry. I might feel angry as well. What are you going to do about that? Mm -hmm. Or what do you think will happen next? Mm-hmm. You know, and if you feel like help is needed, you might ask something like, "Is there something I could do to help you right now? What mm-hmm. would be helpful?" You know, giving them the space, and we call those in the intervention that we're developing. We call those the core skills: so connect, observe, reflect, and explore or empower. Wow, that sounds like it would be good for any relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I've been practicing it with everyone now, just to see how it works, and it's it's funny because you know even. It's it's a really humbling experience to teach these things and to and to also be learning, you know, and that's part of the ACT model is that there's no distance between all of us. I mean, we are the same. Our minds work the same way. Our hearts work the same way. And our struggles may be very, very different, you know. But, I mean, that's part of, I think, the ACT model and the genuineness of the ACT model is really – practicing what we preach and seeing what it's like to walk through those things ourselves while we teach them. Lisa, um, uh, my children are about, uh, about 30 years old. Um, and I, um, I think, uh, one of the hardest times of being a parent is when, uh, your, your child is, uh, personally attacking you. Mm -hmm. 
And I think yeah. because you love them, I mean, this would be so different any other relationship, but because you love them so much, it hurts uh, yeah. so much when you are um, verbally attacked. And uh, it, it makes it so hard for the parent to control themselves. Yes, exactly. You know, one of the things I, I can think of many instances of this and, you know, and I think I'm actually visualizing my daughter right now. She's 13. She's a beautiful little girl with a temper just like her mother's. <laughs> <laughs> and, boy, she sure does know just what things to say. <laughs> and pro- one of the ones, actually, Joanne, I can't believe I'm going to tell you this on the radio, but one of the ones that she says that hurts me the most and is often true is that I'm not fully listening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That I'm not fully connected if I am not quite in the moment and if I'm working, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm not fully present to her in a way that she feels heard and appreciated. Mm-hmm. And my first instinct, you know, I think just like many parents is to push that away. Yeah. And that's sort of, you know, a really unhelpful thing to do is what I found. And the leaning in part, the acceptance piece of that for me is to stop, look at her and say, you know what? You're right. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. And I'm sorry. And I think that that's really hard for parents to show that type of, it's hard for me at least, that vulnerability and that, yes, I'm wrong sometimes. And yes, I'm not going to get it right sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the, um, I think a really important piece that we teach in the intervention as well, that sort of self-compassion that, you know what, it's going to happen with your temper. You're going to not be present. And the trick is that that's okay. So Lisa, do you have uh, an example of parents that you've worked with and what a treatment program might look like? I do. Um, I'm thinking in particular, like I, I work with groups of parents now Um, And the group that we have designed is we had to think very carefully about how busy these folks' schedules were, the context in which the interventions delivered. Um, It's really Mm -hmm. tough when people need not just child care but respite care, which means someone who's um, specially trained to help cope with, um, you know, some of the behavior problems. But we have a five-session intervention, five 90-minute sessions. We do it in the evenings. we usually start with a little bit of food <laughs> just mm-hmm. because people are often hungry. And then we go through um, the ACT components. And in each session, um, there's a piece where we apply what we learn to re- our relationships with our children, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or a skill to learn, like the core skills. Using values is very, very important in this parent um, population because it's often – it helps people – um, hang on when things are really tough and it helps so, them. What would be an example of values when, you, when you're talking about values? So I have a great example. Um, I had a case, another youngster, real uh, young child, who had OCD and his and mother OCD, also. that's a, obsessive, obsessive compulsive disorder. That's right. So it's the disorder where people are experiencing very, very frightening or unpleasant intrusive thoughts and they engage in compulsive behaviors to make those thoughts go away Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so he came in and he was engaging in these rituals for something like eight hours a day. What type of rituals? Uh, he had a number of them. Um, the one we worked on the most that was that took um, the most time was he had a cat, and he was afraid that the cat would get attacked by another animal. Um, and so he did a lot of checking behaviors around that, um, involving doors, windows, vents had to be covered, the fireplace had to be covered, they had to be checked multiple times, there had to be a particular routine in how the checking occurred. Um, there had to be a lot of going in and out of the door. The cat had to be locked in. The, the locks had to be checked multiple times and things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And it was exhausting for his mother, who I might add also had OCD herself. Mm -hmm. And very often when we work with young children, it's important for the parents to work with us as well. Because if you were, you know, raising a child for whom, you know, and you could make things better in the short term by maybe accommodating some of those checking behaviors, you might. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't help things because it doesn't help the child engage in things that are, you know, valued pursuits. And this particular little guy really loves soccer. Mm -hmm. He really loves soccer. There's a big soccer family. And so for a mom who's struggling with similar issues herself, all of those things show up um, and showed up for her as she kind of was helping coach him through doing things that mattered to him, um, mm -hmm. you know, despite these unpleasant thoughts. And we did an exercise one day, you know, around values. And I asked her to visualize, you know, if treatment really worked, what would that look like for you? Mm -hmm. You know, and I said, and I'm not talking about like if the OCD went away, you know, but mm -hmm. if it did, you know, if everything was as you wanted, what would you be doing? What would he be doing? And she gave me this really beautiful picture, this beautiful image of him running um, in the sunlight on the soccer field, you know, with the wind in his hair and scoring mm -hmm. a goal and laughing. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a lot of uh, issues around rules and scrupulosity, so he wasn't able to do that. He would just collapse into a puddle, you know, couldn't play soccer. And so she had this beautiful image of him joyful, playing, mm -hmm. having like just this beautiful experience. And she, she just burst into tears. And I said, you know, what if our work could be about that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What if we could work on that? Would you be willing to help him do these difficult, you know, exposure-based tasks and face these fears? Mm -hmm. And you know what? At the end of treatment, um, we, we worked together for probably 12 sessions. She said, you know what? When things got really rough, that's the picture I kept in my head. That's what kept me going. And the other thing, well, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I love that story. At least I, I just wanted to, to, to mention for the listeners, we haven't talked so much about values, that um, yeah. values is uh, something that, that uh, it sounds like that, you know, you hold like a lifeline above your head and pull yourself yeah. up um, when you start getting into trouble. Is that the meaning of values? It's more like a beacon, like a lighthouse, you know. It points you in a direction of what matters. And one of the things that we try to do with parents is to, so often we get stuck in sort of what's going on in the moment, like our daily lives and getting fused with the things that we're worried about and thinking about that we lose touch with the things that really, really matter. And so a really big piece of ACT as a, a treatment approach is helping parents contact what is it that you most want to either for yourself, for your child, 
or for you as a family. Mm-hmm. And that's different and, from these stereotype pictures, right? Of yeah, the- it depends. It's different for different parents. These are things that parents choose themselves, and it might mm-hmm. be, you know, like a, it might look like that to someone else that it's a stereotype thing. Very often, um, what shows up for a lot of parents is they want connection. They want true connection with their children, and they feel like their struggles with, um, you know, all the thoughts and feelings that come up around their child's disability or behavioral or emotional issue, take that from them. Mm-hmm. So, Lisa, we're getting towards the end of the program, and I want to talk to you about your the self help book that you've written for parents. Oh. So, how, how does how does a self help book work? You know, it's funny that you asked that because what showed up, I was going to say something different, but I actually flashed back to this memory of writing it and listening to my daughter fight with my son downstairs. And I'm upstairs in the office trying to write this self <laughs> <laughs> That's And I funny. kept thinking, God, what do I have to tell parents <laughs> tell you is that it's really meant to be for any parent at all. It's it's geared towards parents of younger children. And what would be great is if parents read a chapter at a time. It's for co- everyday behavior problems, um, just only because we do think that ACT is helpful. And there is some data accruing now that suggests that it's helpful um, for parents with kids with special needs. At the time the book was written, there wasn't those trials were not undergoing at that time. So we wrote about general parenting and, and it's, it's, you know, for younger kids, but what would be ideal is if parents read it and really kind of sunk into the exercises and let them do their work and just see what pieces resonated for them. Check in with their own experience as you read it um, and see what might be useful for you. Okay. And, and do you have any examples of parents using just a self-help book and how it's worked for them? I do. I have, I have some, um, you know, some clients. I, I often hear therapists say, I hand this to every client that walks in the door and they love it, which is great. Um, and I often have friends that have come to me and said, you know, hey, I like this book. This, you know, this helped me when I was beating myself up about such and such, or I didn't realize what to do with the tantrum. Because one of the things that we did in the book was we integrated ACT with evidence-based parent training techniques that are tried and true and that work, but that are hard to use if you're struggling with your own thoughts and feelings as a parent. Mm -hmm. And so we we hope that that's useful. And so far, the feedback has been pretty good so Mm -hmm. far. That sounds good. That sounds good. So, Lisa, um, I'm sure that we have some listeners today that that are uh, either themselves or relatives to to children with special needs. So what kind of advice could you help them to go from hurt to hope? I think if I could say just one or two things, the first would be be kind to yourself and you're not alone. You know, whether you have a child with a disability or a chronic health condition or who you're frightened might have, you know, a more serious mental health issue, be kind to yourself and follow your heart and your interaction. Slow down. Um, and actually, there's a lovely little values exercise that we like to do 
Um, and it involves imagining, just taking a moment to imagine that there's an 80-year-old you who's older and wiser and been through everything you have and much, much, much more um, that has come to give you advice about your life and your family and your parenting with the wisdom of all those years. And this isn't a perfect you. It's, it's a you that has gotten off track many, many times. And maybe after learning a little bit about mindfulness and acceptance and values has come back on course. And this, this you, this older wise you has three questions or three pieces of advice. And just listen to this with your heart gently and take it in. And the first piece of advice is you spend far too much time. What would 80 year old, older, wiser you tell you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The second piece is you spend far too little time. Mm-hmm. Just take a moment to notice what shows up. And then the last piece of advice finally is if you could change just one small thing in your life mm-hmm. around your relationship with your child or your relationship with your family that could make a difference to you, what would that one thing be from this day forward? Mm-hmm. And how would that affect your relationship with your child and with yourself? Just slow down and listen. Maybe. Those are those are wonderful questions, Lisa. Thank you so much for being on our program today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Joanne. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Dr. Lisa Cohen uh, from Suffolk University. She is an associate professor and director of the Early Childhood and Research Clinic there in Boston, Mass. Lisa is an internationally recognized ACT trainer and author of a book called The Joy of Parenting, an Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Guide to Effective Parenting in Early Years. You can find this book by clicking on the name on this week's episode. And you can also read more about Lisa on her website, which you can get to by clicking on her name on this week's episode of ACT, Taking Her to Hope. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain, Values in Action, and Epilepsy, a Behavior Medicine Approach to Assessment and Treatment in Children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.